Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chillinoy Podcast. I just wanted to give a small disclaimer before I sent you into this episode. There's some background noise. Um, just going to be completely candid about it. Our guest had some background noise, including people coming in and out of doors and a child in the background. Rest assured, I didn't think it was enough background noise to stop the conversation. That's all to say that, please, if you're frustrated by background noise like that, uh, just, just wait a little bit. I promise that it's not overly obnoxious and constant throughout the podcast, but it does pop up from time to time. And so I wanted to give you just a small disclaimer. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Jared, welcome to the Chillinoy podcast. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. Very, very blessed. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege and an honor to be here talking about CHS today. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, man, we're, we're going to be talking about CHS or could you uh, define that for us for people that don't know the acronym? Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Gotcha. Yeah. And so it's, tell, I don't want to try to describe it myself. So tell me what your experience has been for folks that don't know what this is. Never heard of it. Well, it's, it's painful. I'm not going to lie. It's, it, it's a big mystery for the most part. You know, I was diagnosed with CHS in 2015 for the first time. Um, I would say my first episode was in 2012. And, you know, it, a lot of people just don't know a whole lot about it. And there's a lot of misdiagnosis out there about this. Um, you know, the one thing that we, for some reason, have in common is hot showers. Um horrible, horrible pain in her stomach and constant vomiting. And, you know, that's not really a whole lot to go off of because that could mimic a lot of different things. Um, typically it's a detox scenario is what we're going through. And for a long time, people just didn't know what it was. And, you know, I would go into the hospital and because I'd be down for seven days or 10 days or 14 days where I'm just puking and there's nothing left in my system and I'm totally dehydrated uh, and I would go in and doctors would say oh you're allergic to cannabis and I'm, I'm sorry what did you say like, they're like well there's these things that everybody has in common and it's hot showers and it's cyclic vomiting um, and that was pretty much all they had to go off of and you now I used to work on ambulance. I was a paramedic in my previous life. And I basically called bullshit. And I was like, show me some, show me some science here. Don't tell me just because I, I, I puke a lot and I like hot showers that that's enough to give me a diagnosis that cannabis is bad for me. That doesn't make sense. So I would call bullshit on it. And it kind of turned into my life's mission to prove the doctors wrong. And what I ended up finding out is, in fact, there is some truth to it, but there's so much uncertainty and not a whole lot of people understand what's transpiring. So they can't really explain it to anybody. It doesn't make sense. So I became like my own little lab rat to prove to myself that CHS is a reality. And it's funny because, you know, you start out this whole process trying to dispel it. And then you come to a conclusion that, oh, maybe this is what it is. And how do we move on past that? 
And there's lots of conversations out there where people are just saying abstinence, you can't do it anymore. It's neem, it's all these other things. And the reality is, is that a lot of those people have no idea what they're talking about. You know, they're just grasping at straws or they're trying to find a needle in a haystack or they're just saying you can't do this anymore. This is the only way. And I don't believe that is the case. You know, I went from being sick every three months to going for a year and a half without going through another episode of CHS. So in that regard, uh, there's, there's a huge improvement three months to a year and a half, two years, you know, that that's, that's huge. And that's me experimenting with myself and dangerously with my own life, so to speak. Yeah, definitely, man. That's, that's crazy. Can I ask you before we get into, you know, your ideas on abstinence, abstinence only approaches or, or whatever the other approaches are before we get into that and maybe why you have forged your own way. Can I ask you, I think what's an interesting question. I want to let you first know that you're not alone um, by feeling the way you did, but I want to ask you, why did you feel the way you did? Why did you feel that you had to prove that diagnosis wrong? It's not that I had to prove the diagnosis wrong. I just I had to figure out what was going on with me. Sure, sure. Understood. And the doctors, they were putting me through all these tests and they were saying that I need these certain surgeries. And, you know, I, I know, I don't know everything, but I know enough to where I didn't need the surgeries. You know, I, I didn't need a lot of these tests, but I went through it because there's a curiosity and, you know, maybe, maybe they do know something. So why not? If it's not going to hurt me and I'm not having to inject myself with something or go through some sort of radiation, well, it's, it's not going to hurt to at least try. And the more, more understood, the better it became for me and how I could move on with my life and just start changing these little things over time as I started to figure it out um, so that I could have a quality of life. Yeah. Well, if I could just tell you, if you're wondering what I meant by you're not alone and stuff, what I, what I meant was like, if somebody told me that I was suffering, that I was allergic to cannabis or suffering, suffering from CHS, my gut instinct would be like, but cannabis helps me in so many different ways. Like there's no way that this could be. So that's why I I thought maybe there was an element to that. You're one of the few individuals I've met and this will get us into our abstinence only conversation, I think, and why that's maybe not the way you're one of the few individuals I've met that first of all has CHS. I don't know a lot of people that have CHS, but second of all, like this is the big one. Most people that I do know with CHS go with the abstinence only approach. Can you tell me why that wasn't a viable option for you or why rather Continue, continuing to use cannabis was a better option. I think that's a better way of phrasing it, but I want to hear your take. What You know, it's not that I have to use cannabis per se. It's the other options suck. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, they're not that. viable options for me. You know, if you have cancer, you you have so many options, right? Chemo is one, a bunch of pharmaceuticals is another, or cannabis. You know, we all have to make a conscious decision. And, you know, for me, 
you know, I, I fought fire for many, many years on hotshot crews, and I ended up tearing my ACL and CL meniscus in both my knees. Um, I have scoliosis. Uh, I, I have my own bouts of pain. And, you know, Oxycontin, that's not an option for me. Um, working on an ambulance, I saw a lot of death and destruction that came at the hands of pharmaceuticals. Um, I ended up losing my own father to it. So for me, abstinence comes from the pill form. Like, I, I don't want anything to do with it because I see a lot of problems that actually trickle down from there. You know, you, you're opening Pandora's box to addiction. And usually whatever pill that you end up taking, there's going to be some sort of compounding effects, whether it's on your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, your heart, you know, there, it's a multitude of different varieties of effects that can happen. <clears throat> and the truth is that doctors are just practicing. They, they don't really know a whole lot about this. Um, Western medicine is still relatively new um, in the big scheme of things. And we're, playing with our anatomy physiology we're playing with their chemistry and god doesn't play you know he perfects so i would rather look to nature than to look through a doctor that just wants to deal me their drugs and whatever business came in last that brought in donuts or bought everybody a meal exactly or, absolutely you know they have stock in it and they're not really there to help me they're there to sell me something and to give me something that's going to have compounding effects. So for me, none of those other options were really much of an option. Um, I prefer cannabis and I would like to be able to learn to live with this and hopefully have some sort of improvement. You know, um, if we take the cannabis or the abstinence approach, well, then there's no discovery. You know, there's no breakthroughs. There's no hope. And I guess I just refused to listen to that. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, um, can I ask you, cause I feel like a lot of people maybe that are tuning in, um, they may have CHS, you know, a lot of people might just be tuning in cause they like our show, but some people might've Googled CHS and they may have found this podcast. Can you tell us what worked for you? You know, abstinence only, I would personally, if I was faced with that, I'd be like, I'd like you, I'd try to find a solution. Just not doing mm -hmm. it is not a solution to me. So tell me about what, what's worked for you and, and how you got there. Cause you said it was a journey, <laughs> so, you know, from three months to a year. That's pretty. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It went, you know, it would be three months and then six months and then nine months. So at that point in time, like I knew I was making progress. I knew I was doing certain things the right way. Um, I, maybe they're not the right way. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing whatever works for me. And I'm just looking at the facts that, you know, I'm not getting sick every three months. I'm not getting sick every nine months. You know, it's not happening every year. And sometimes I do get sick and I don't need to go to the hospital. Sometimes I get sick and I do need to go to the hospital, you know, and then trying to find these really fine lines that we're, we're trying to walk here in discovery mode. But, you know, one of the biggest things for me was, you know, I, I'm a second generation cannabis farmer and we have our own deaf farm here where we teach other deaf people how to be able to grow regeneratively. And, you know, everything's organic. So at that point in time, people were saying, oh, it's neem, it's neem, it's neem. 
And yes, it it, it does. And mimic. really quick for our listeners, you're you're referencing neem oil that, that yes. farmers use. That that was their uh, hypothesis that this neem oil might be causing it. Correct. That's mm-hmm. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And you can get sick from neem, and yes, it, it mimics this scenario but it's not because i don't use neem you know we're dim pure farm which means we're dragonfly earth medicine certified we have over seven closed loops so i make my own nutrients i make my own soil i make my own sprays you know so in that regard i can say it's it's none of these things but at the same time you know, it's like, okay, what is it? And what can I do? You know, so for me, now that I'm growing, you know, and I'm growing for a multitude of different patients, and we're trying to map out terpenes, and how that that affects um, the entourage effect and how it affects you medicinally, that it, it just came to a point where I had a plethora, right? I had so many different strains that I wanted to try and I wanted to document this and document that. And like, there's, there's a lot of curiosity. So I was smoking a lot and it wasn't just the flower. It was concentrates. It was tinctures, edibles, all these different things. And when I came to the conclusion or the realization that this could be it, I just started to cut those things out. You know, uh, first thing I did was cut out concentrates because I noticed as soon as I took a dab or started smoking hash, I get sick like that really quick. So it was like, okay, let's just back away from that. And then I I stopped getting it, doing edibles just because there's a time delay there and you don't know if you've taken too much until it's too late or, so I just kind of cut that out and I just stuck strictly with flour. And, you know, it, I used to smoke on a regular all the time throughout the day. Now I don't, you know, if I do end up taking a hit, it's usually a green hit. You know, I want, I want to be able to taste it. I, I want the goods. I don't need the particulates in my lungs. Um, and then I just stop. And sometimes I can smoke on a bowl for all day or a couple of days. You know, it's just moderation is key. And that's really what it came down to. It's like, okay, this, this is what it is. And I just need to learn how to slow my roll and to utilize it more for its medicinal value and not so much for my need to get high or, you know, sometimes you get that desire. I just want to smoke. I just want to smoke. I just want to smoke. And I just had to learn to be able to control myself and practice moderation and sometimes that's hard you know sometimes you have a bad day that's all you want to do is smoke or sometimes you're hurting and you're it's not really taking the edge off so it's like where am i finding this fine line and i mean that's what it comes down to it's just for me sticking with flour not chasing after thc values looking more at the chirping values and how it's going to affect my body eating healthy because, you know, I, I can eat my foods and all the 299 varieties of terpenes are found all throughout nature. So I can dose myself in terpenes with my food or essential oils, just breathing it in, atomizing it, um, drinking it in teas, and then use a little bit of cannabis. 
And that little bit of cannabis will allow me to absorb all the other terpene aspects of it and have that entourage effect that I'm looking for. So it's, it's kind of like budget weed, so to speak, you know, learning how to make it stretch and utilize it properly. Yeah. That's very interesting. One of the, one of the things you seem to have found out is that moderation is key, but also maybe some of those high potency products like concentrate or even some of those products where it's hard to gauge your dosage. Maybe that's where you start to like, okay, I know my limits there. That's not, mm-hmm. you know. um, when just curious, I, I meant to ask this earlier than now you've smoked your entire life. I assume, right. This didn't start until this, this hasn't always been an issue. Like you right? said, I'm, I'm second generational cannabis farmer. Um, <laughs> so again, yeah, you've smoked it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was stealing it from my dad at a young age. Uh, you know, I knew where he had his variety of stash spots, and you know, I'd smoke a little bit here, a little bit there. But it wasn't until I started having serious injuries from firefighting that I started smoking more and more and more to deal with that pain. Because like I said, I didn't want oxy. I didn't want any of that stuff that they wanted to pump down my throat. So that's when I started getting sick. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's just, it's scary. The reason I wanted to ask you that is because some people, including me, would like to hope that that doesn't happen to them, you know? Right. And it can happen to people. It's happened to several people. Um, and there's even rumors I think I was discussing with you uh, about why some longtime stoners have stopped smoking. Uh, was it you that I was talking about with Woody Harrelson? He no mm-hmm. longer smokes cannabis anymore. No, he um, still does. But oh, he, he does. took his sabbatical and same with Willie Nelson. And there's lots of other people that have stopped for a duration of time. And I would love to have a conversation with them as why. You know, what made them walk down that path to get to that point of where, you know, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to tell everybody I stopped, but I'm not going to tell them why. Yeah. Because maybe they just don't understand it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a, a huge thing that you've noticed, right. Is that some people, especially folks that have been smoking for a while, don't understand it. And that's something I've heard time and time again, they don't understand what's going on with them until push comes to shove and they've come to a physician. They're like, Hey, we think you might have CHS. Can you talk <laughs> about that a little bit? Like it, it seems pr- like you said, some of these uh, symptoms you would get from maybe just a regular illness. So it can be hard to narrow it down to cannabis. Have you heard of anybody else having like a really hard time narrowing it down? Oh yeah. Just about everybody, you yeah. know? <laughs> and the reason I'm asking if you could walk through maybe a few things you've heard, cause like maybe there's somebody listening right now that has been experiencing it for a few months and they're like, Oh shit. You know? So if you, could you go through maybe a few of the symptoms that people mistake or whatever? Um, I'm not sure about mistake because everybody's symptoms could be a little bit different. Sure. Um, the one thing that I've noticed throughout the duration of me having this illness is typically it happens in the morning, you know, after a sleep cycle, right. When you wake up mm-hmm. is when you start feeling, uh, are you familiar with, uh, well, it, your diaphragm, right. Where your xiphoid process is where, you know, your rib cage comes down and then start to separate. There's this little bone that protrudes down called your xiphoid process. <clears throat> and that's where my pain is, but it's like a dull aching pain. 
Um, but it's not severe. It's just this discomfort, you know, kind of like I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry. Um, and it, it always happens in the morning for me. Um, I would say 95% of the time when I get sick, it's always in the morning. But here's the caveat is the food that I ate the day before or the night before, none of it's digested. Um, so here I am, eight o'clock, seven o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, waking up and I go into the bathroom and my stomach hurts. So the first thing I do is I go to the bathroom, I go poop. And it, it basically what transpires is everything just comes out, everything. Um, and then immediately after that, I get the taste of iron in my mouth and I have to puke. And when I puke, you know, the rice is still there, the corn's still there, the chicken's still there, whatever I ate from last night, nothing's been processed. So it's still whole. So that means that I was symptomatic the day before. I just didn't know. And digestive system really starts taking place during your sleep cycle. So that to me was one of those aha moments like, oh, this is, this isn't triggering in my gut. It's triggering in my brain. And I'm only experiencing these symptoms as soon as I wake up. So why? And I still, I don't know any doctors that have ever said that this generates in your brain and not in your, in your gastrointestinal system. Um, that's, that's just me from my experience. But <laughs> I know without a shadow of a doubt, that's, that's where it has to start. And, you know, at some point in time, I would love to do a documentary. I would love to get brain scans of what it looks like when I'm going through these spells or what it's like for other people to go through these spells. It doesn't just have to be me, you know, it, it'd be good if somebody is already going through the experiences of CHS versus putting myself into it voluntarily. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much that, that we really, really need to know. And, you know, so I, I go and I defecate and I'm throwing up and it just doesn't stop. Like, even though my stomach is completely drained, there's nothing left there. Uh, I'm still vomiting. And what I noticed is that, my sputum, let's call it, or my stomach acid, it changes colors. So there's some sort of detox that's going on while I'm going through these fits of vomiting. You know, it'll, it'll go from blue to light blue to orange to, to yellow. And it's not blood or anything like that that's in my system. It's just the stomach acid something is leaching out. Um, I would love to know what, you know, but it's one of those things. If you don't pay attention to it, you don't, you don't know. I'm just vomiting. And, and was it Kool-Aid? Was it like, what is it? And I know it's not blood. Uh, so I don't know. There, there's still a lot of questions for sure. Um, for, for me also is I sweat profusely and uh, yeah, I, I just came out of CHS. So back on February 28th, the day that my daughter was born, um, 
as soon as my wife's water broke, I got sick in the hospital. Like literally, I'm in the birthing tub, you know, filling it up with hot water and my wife's in the other room pushing. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, what in the world just happened to me? You know, so stress can be a trigger too. That's actually what I would think is probably the biggest trigger of all. Because I can, like I said, I can smoke and I can smoke a good chunk of flour. You know, I can smoke multiple bowls a day myself for a year or plus and not get sick. But, you know, when my grandfather dies, you know, sick, Christmas, sick. Um, New Year's, sick. I don't know why, but it's important events that take place, I guess, in my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I walked into the doctor's office after having my first real bout, and they were saying it's CHS. And I walked in and I sat down, and the doctors was like, "Oh, this is stress. I want to give you medication for stress." Blah blah blah. And I said, "Fuck you!" I said, "You don't know shit about stress." You know, working on an ambulance, I've seen kids with their heads cut off, right? I've seen the worst of the worst. Maybe not the worst. It's not like war, um, but in a way it is, you know? Yeah, uh, no, it can be pretty I, bad, dude. I couldn't so do it. It You see a lot of tragic shit. Yeah. So when he told me it's stress, I was like, go fuck yourself, dude. Like, what do you know about stress? Uh, but he... There was something to it. You know, he just wanted to give me a pill for stress. And that's not what I'm looking for. And it took me probably two, three years after that conversation to come to terms with it. Because like when I would get sick and people would come in and they would complain to me about this or that, I instantly started vomiting again. And I was like, oh, so stress plays a big role in this as well. Mental health is, is equally as important as my digestive health and the things that I'm putting into my body. So it's how do we juggle this? How do we walk this fine line and how we know what's real and what's made up? Yeah. Um, Have you ever had anybody accuse you of making it up? I know that Alice, the person that I spoke to that, that connected us, she's Mm -hmm. dealt with that before. Have you ever dealt with that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially being, being in the cannabis game. You know, like I grow. So I, if you don't smoke, well, people are like, oh, are you a snitch? Oh, you're like, no, I'm very, very legit. And I remember one time, um, this woman, Carrie Arcady, right? She is a very, very well known person within the cannabis industry. She's actually the one that got the Super Bowl ad in about cannabis, the first one. Uh, she came over to our house and she basically called bullshit on me. And I was like, oh, yeah, watch this. So I, <laughs> this was very stupid and I don't recommend this, but like, I wanted to prove a point. Uh-huh. So I ended up packing a bowl of Ghost OG. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ghost OG, but it's very, very potent. Um, just the flower itself tested out at 26.5% THC. And the terpenes on it were, less, I think it was like 4.8% of its mass weight. And it was double digits and three different terpenes. So I mean, you're talking some pretty heavy stuff. And then I went and grabbed some Keef, 
and sprinkled it right on top. And then I took a hit and my second hit and I was sick. And, you know, she stayed with us for, I want to say 10, 12 days. And she got to watch me go through it. Like the whole thing. And there was no disputing it at that point in time because I was totally healthy. I just got done going to a 420 party in Humboldt. Um, I smoked there. Everything was good, great and grand. But as soon as I got home and started throwing that Keith in there and I I lit up with my concentrates and then I was just down and it literally took two minutes, two minutes. That's crazy. That's so yeah. yeah, I know. Like, watch this. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like, it takes a lot of dedication if you were acting for, you know, yeah. like you got to throw up and also, you know, the, the sweating and everything else that mm-hmm. comes with it. Like you deserve an Emmy if you were acting. <laughs> oh yeah. My whole body is like, I don't know how to be able to do the cold sweats. And I'll tell you, man, I, I will sweat and have to change my clothes and my sheets three times in a night because and it's a cold sweat. You said, right. It's not like you're hot. No, I I can be hot and I can be cold and it literally takes seconds, but I'm, I'm not stopping sweating. And wow. Yeah. It's brutal. I have to get up and take showers just to clean myself off, dry myself off and I'll be totally fine until I'm that close to sleep, that close to falling asleep. And as soon as that happens, I start sweating profusely. So like I said, that's why I'm like this. Oh, this is a brain thing. I yeah. mean, it's CB1 and CB2 because it's obviously affecting my gastrointestinal tract, my digestive system, but it's also affecting my brain, my hypothalamus. Um, whenever I'm trying to sleep, you know, certain things are triggering and why? Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say from my, from my research and for folks that have listened that for folks that listen to our podcast, they know I am not a medical professional, (laughs) but I've spoken to a few and I've spoken to other uh, medical chemists and pharmacologists. And, and one of them that I spoke with, uh, his name's Dr. Sam Bannister. I'll give a just wanted to give a plug for that episode. Um, he is known as the person that created synthetic cannabinoids. In other words, CB1 antagonists, or in, in some cases, CB2 antagonists. Um, and again, I'm speaking way out of my ballpark here, but from what I've understood is that doctors have found some causes of CHS to be, this isn't the miracle formula. I'm not saying that this is the one cause of CHS, mm-hmm. but they have found that CB1 antagonists, CB2 antagonists, uh, could cause CHS. And they found that through Dr. Sam Bannister's discovery, which is he is known as the person that kind of discovered synthetic cannabinoids like K2 and spice. And what doctors found is that some people using these synthetic cannabinoids were experiencing this, the symptoms you were, were experiencing. But before mm-hmm. we had, you know, before back then, first of all, cannabis research was in its infancy. It still is really. Um, but, but health research, especially, you know, if things are happening to people, oftentimes people would chalk it up to the drug being laced or having neem mm-hmm. in it or whatever the case may be. They just, they want to try any way to blame it on the cannabis. But then when it started to happen with these synthetic cannabinoids, which, you know, are cannabinoids, we have that discussion on, uh, with, with Sam Bannister, they may be synthetic, but they are cannabinoids. And so when they noticed people, 
having these issues using a synthetic cannabinoid, they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And, and from what I understand, that was the beginnings of our discovery of, you know, admitting CHS is a thing. So um, I learned that from Sam Bannister and uh, Hamilton Morris, if you know him from Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. Um, so yeah, I wanted to put that out there since you mentioned CB1 and CB2. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of any other potential um, causes besides antagonists? Um, I, I know some people say it in another way. They say high potency cannabis, which you pointed out. That's That's one thing that's caused mm-hmm. it for you. Are there any other things that um, you notice triggers it? You know, not for me per se, other than the stress aspect of it. Um, but other people that I've spoken to, or, you know, I'm a part of CHS groups. So I, I read a lot, um, about what they're kind of going through and give my own two cents or, you know, things that I think might be able to help them that have helped me. But, you know, some people say carefully, and that's the main terpene that's found in pepper you know, the peppercorns, some people get sick with that. Some people, spicy foods trigger it, um, smells can trigger it. So uh, there's still a lot that's really unknown about it. And, you know, people can stop smoking cannabis and they can eat these certain foods and still it triggers in one way or another. Now, I don't know if it triggers into a full blown effect. I don't believe it should, um, but maybe a minor effect, you know, because I, I mean, we're, we're talking generalities here, but for me, when I get sick, right. Um, excuse me. My body gets really, really hot and I start to sweat profusely and, you know, I, I go through my purges and I'm burning up my fat molecules and I'm basically starving myself, so to speak. And as we all know, THC, it stores in your fat molecules. So in your brain is made up mostly of fat. So you, you put those two and two together and you're just like, oh, okay. So I need to burn off this excess THC or cannabinoids within my system. And then once I basically burnt a majority of that up. Now I can start going through the healing process and getting better. I don't know how that affects people that have stopped. And then all of a sudden they put pepper on their salad and they start experiencing a very similar effect, you know? Um, so that's why for me, it's like, okay, yeah, it, THC plays a role into it, but maybe it's more so the cannabinoids than it is the THC in itself. Um, And, you know, that's purely speculative, but it seems to be on par with what other people are experiencing as well. Gotcha. Um, Let me see how, so does this happen for you? Like it does with others sometimes like not even involving cannabis. Like, is it sometimes just a stress related event? that mm-hmm. can trigger these types of symptoms. Yeah, yeah. When my grandfather died, when my dad died, um, yeah. when my baby was born, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, you weren't high then is what you're saying. No. You weren't smoking. I may have you been weren't smoking, smoking in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, 
maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Before I, I walked into the delivery room, I did take a hit of some forbidden fruit, uh, but I felt totally fine. It wasn't yeah. until that stress hit that I started getting sick. And gotcha. like I said, I've been smoking at that point for almost two years straight without any incidences. But every once in a while, I feel it in the morning. You know, I, I get that, that sensation in my stomach, the, that dull aching pain. And it's like, sometimes that'll happen for weeks. Sometimes it'll happen for months and I still don't get sick. And I attribute that to some of the things that I do. Um, like one of the things that I do, uh, this is like a religious thing for me is distilled water because, you know, you get, you drink your tap water, you're getting minerals and you're getting all these other things and, and with it as well. Whereas distilled water is pure and I'm not going to be adding anything into my system. I'm only taking away. So it helps me with the detox process. And, uh, you know, that was probably the big, one of the biggest things um, that I changed in my life was just drinking distilled water versus other you know, if I had an option, it would always be the distilled water. And that probably helped me the most out of everything. And then the humic and fulvic acid as well, because, you know, with humic and fulvic acid, there's 12 different amino acids in there and over seven or 70 different minerals and nutrients that helps the building blocks of my DNA to re replenish, especially after um, being sick. <clears throat> it's, it's little things like that have been able to help me um honey you know when you're in the middle of being sick you can't keep anything down now when we were working on the ambulance let's say you had somebody that was in a diabetic coma um they couldn't eat their blood sugar was extremely low you take honey and you rub it in their gums or you would put it up rectally you know uh but it was life-saving and that's been something for me because you know you go two weeks without any type of food and you're just sweating and your body's totally hot you're burning off all this fat you need something because my brain doesn't fire the way it should you know uh, uh, being sick almost a month ago i still feel it you know cognitively where it feels like I'm just a little bit slower. It takes me a little bit longer to react, you know? Um, so the honey really helped, helped me. Uh, gotcha. Fruits, yeah. fruit. That's, that's, that's another one. As soon as I'm able to eat, I want fruit, I want rice, you know, the, the good sugars, the healthy sugars to get into my system. But yeah, Gotcha. Anything, any other home remedies or anything else that you found that has worked? Oh, shoot, man. <laughs> um, back massages. Uh, that nice. Is, you know, something that's just going to be able to relax you. Um, you know, I, I, for me, when I get sick and I'm doing the whole sweating thing and I need to be in the hot baths, well, what ends up happening is you vasodilate, right? So all of your blood, your, all of your veins and arteries open up 
and your blood goes topically to your skin and throughout the body. <clears throat> then when I get out, I need to shunt that blood. So I will lay down on cold surfaces. And really, that's probably where I get my most relaxation is when I'm laying down on like the tile floor. Um, right after the hot bath, I can fall asleep like that. Um, it makes it really, really easy for me, but it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, knowing that, okay, I'm vasodilating so that I'm able to sweat and hopefully excrete some of this stuff. And then I need to shunt my blood. Like I need to protect my vital organs because I don't have a whole lot of blood volume there. I'm insanely dehydrated. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and to be able to know when to call it, like I've gone, like I said, weeks, weeks of being sick to where my, my hands to start to curl and my arms curl, you know, my, my body starting to seize up. You need to call it like you need to go to hospital at that point in time. Um, you know, your kidneys will shut down and fail on you if you don't have enough fluids going through your system. So just to be very, very aware of what it is that you're going through and nobody wants to go to the hospital. That's where most problems transpires in the hospital. But if it gets to that point of where my kidneys are shutting down, I kind of need to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, get, I might be stuck on dialysis for the rest of my life if I don't. And yeah, it's a, that's a scary thought right there. It, it, it's all a scary thought, man. It's a scary reality. It's, it's, it's really hard for my family to watch me go through it and to be around it. Um, and it, a lot of it's because of my stubborn nature, I guess you could say. You know, I, I don't want to give up. I don't want to quit. I want to find more. Like, I, I will put myself through a whole lot of pain and agony before I go to the hospital, you know, and my family's just like, please go to the hospital. I'm just like, fuck that place. Like they will kill me. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I feel you there, man. I feel it's you there. I fucking hate, I hate going to the hospital or to the doctor, you know, fuck that shit. I just seen so many people that go in there and they need very minor things. And then they come out with some major things. And my father-in-law was one of those. You know, we just ended up losing him two years ago and he went in, this was before the whole COVID thing. Okay. He went in and he had some fluid on the lungs and he was having some hard time breathing. And next thing you know, they intubated him. And then after they intubated him, they kept him in a drug induced coma for like a month and a half. And at that point in time, he lost his ability to breathe on his own. And I mean, it was just all downhill and, you need suction the lungs. Yeah, sure. Do you, do you need to innovate them for a long duration of time? Did he really need a trach? Like, did he need to be on the assisted ventilator? Right. Uh, not 100%. It's hard to put myself in those type of shoes, but they're not always there to fix you. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, they are oftentimes just getting a recommendation what do you go to? What do you get when you go to a second physician? You get another recommendation or another uh, view on the thing. And that's, that's all it is. You know, some people will take their doctor at their word for it. And it's not that 
we're encouraging people to question health professionals, but we are encouraging you to kind of do your due diligence and make sure you know what you're getting involved in and what could be the side effect of, of some of these major things, right? I do encourage you to question your doctor. Yeah. I question everything because yeah. they're just practicing. It's your life. Like they, oh yeah, it's your life and yours alone and it's yours to yeah. give up. And, yeah, definitely you know. question. I didn't mean, what I meant was, uh, you know, there's like a difference between asking questions and mm-hmm. then uh, being like, you don't fucking know what you're talking about. Like that's a different type <laughs> of questioning. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been on both so. sides of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depends on what medical profession that they're in is yeah. because you may be a general doctor and I, you know, being in an ambulance, you would go into these clinics and somebody would be having a heart attack and the doctor is nowhere to be found because that's not their specialty. They panic. So speak with the specialist Yeah, and just realize that, just because they have a doctor or DR in front of their name, you have to take kind of take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. So there are speak. plenty of quack doctors out there for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know? they're just taught to give you more pills and. And the thing you said about the uh, drug manufacturers or drug companies taking them out to dinner or gi- mm-hmm. giving them things that's real my mom oh, yeah. is a medical professional and these companies will bring them by gift baskets and oh here's uh here's a coupon you can go into uh you know wherever and get your food uh, sometimes they take you places uh they take the doctor places uh you know really nice vacations or whatever and it's kind of like hey we'll do this for you but just remember if you could recommend our drugs to people, <laughs> that's yeah, basically right. basically yeah. it. So thanks for highlighting that, by the way, because not a lot of even people doctors know. question doctors, and it's yeah. not a bad thing. You know, it, the more eyes, the more brains you can get on a topic, the better, the more certain of an outcome you're going to have. You know, um, yeah. So I don't want to speak badly upon them, and I don't want to glorify them either, because they're not the end all, say all. But the more advice, the more recommendation, the more people you can get to look at something, the better outcome you're typically going to have. Yeah. So for folks that are uh, struggling with CHS, some of the <clears throat> things that you just listed may help them. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think, like you said, everybody may have their own case or their own symptoms, you know, uh, other things going into it. You mentioned that there are CHS communities. Can you uh, recommend any, or if you can't think of them off the top of your head, maybe we can get the links from you after the show and put them in the show notes for people that are looking for a sense of community. I feel like if your suggestions don't work, maybe they can connect with somebody else in the community that has a suggestion that does work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's great is you can pretty much go, um, on Facebook and just look up CHS, look up cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, I won't give any that I say, go to this one or that one because everybody's trying to figure it out. But I will say, stay away from the ones that say abstinence is the only way because you're not going to get anything there that'll help you. All you're going to get is no. You know, I, I was a part of the, one of those groups because I was, I was just kind of curious of what it was all about. And then I realized that, you know, that abstinence is the only thing. And if you said anything that was contraindicated of, of that, then you just got kicked out. 
And it's like, man, how are we ever supposed to find any answers? How, it, if I can't have a real conversation with real people about things that they're experiencing, you know, and that was the first time I'd come out and been like, you know, I've been smoking now for the last year and a half and I haven't got sick. And they're like, you're out. Wow. wow. Why can't you just embrace the fact that we just made some improvements? Like we're making discoveries which we could potentially change people's lives. And I'm not saying do it. I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying be a grown up and be you and make the most educated decision that you can. And for people that have cancer, you know, chemo is an option. And for other people, it's not. It's not Absolutely. chemo only. And it's not take these pills only. Let's just, let's look to nature. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That should yeah. be your it seems like a haste. It seems like a hasty jump to conclusions. Like, oh, cannabis is causing it. You need to cut it out of your life entirely. It seems really hasty to just jump to that, you know? Well, not only that, just kick people out of your group because they yeah. say, well, I smoke. People can get on there and be like, oh, I just had a relapse. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they just confess to smoking. They're not getting kicked out of the group. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just- if I could, if I could uh, recommend any communities for our listeners, I would recommend PTOs. And it's not necessarily a, um, a, a community just for uh, people with CHS, but what it is, is a positive community for those interested in responsible consumption of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Discussions include everything from tolerance breaks to personal cravings or to personal feelings and cravings. And there's a lot of people, uh, some people dealing with CHS, other people just trying to find a better place for cannabis in their life. Folks, if you're looking for this uh, community, I'll have a link in the podcast description. On the flip side of that though, there's a community called Leaves. And this is, it sounds like some of those groups that you've been in where uh, I personally tell people to avoid this place because it's a support community to help people stop smoking cannabis. And if you mention that you are, uh, you are shamed and, yeah. uh, and sometimes ran out of the community. Um, <clears throat> even here in their rules, please don't participate if you've smoked today. Crazy, crazy. So I, that but, community but is worthless. Is yeah, that community is worthless to me. Uh, PTLs is if you're looking for responsible, uh, or if you're just looking to reduce or moderate cannabis in your life, I think this is a great community for that. And then, like you said, look for some of those other communities that are specifically for CHS, but beware of some of those rules or members that dissuade you from being open. I think your, your approach to this is so intriguing. You're like, look, like the, the fact that abstinence is pitched and you're like, but hey, why don't we figure out like what's the threshold at which this gets triggered? Well, let's, let's get closer to answering this question, this huge problem. I love that about your approach to this. And I just wanted to commend you for it. Thanks. Uh, you know, it wasn't a very popular approach for a duration of time. And I was kind of scorned, like I had a death wish or something. And, you know, I guess people can say that and they can feel justified for that because in a way I I am, you know, if you're putting yourself through that type of torment and I wasn't doing it just for pleasure or fun or shits and giggles, you know, like I have my own medical issues 
And I was just, I didn't want to give up on cannabis because it, it afforded me a quality of life that I would not have in any other situation or scenario. <clears throat> but for a long time, it was just very negative. It was very negative. It was frowned upon. And I'm glad to see that there's more people that are now engaging in this dialogue because the more people that are going to engage in this dialogue, the further we're going to advance, the more that we're going to know the better quality of life people will have, you know, and abstinence. Maybe you'll, you'll have a better quality of life. I don't know. I can't say everybody's different. You know, uh, you live with multiple sclerosis and, and tell me. Yeah. All right. Try to raw dog that and tell me. Yeah. You, you live with cancer and see what type of quality of life you're going to have. You know, I, I'm not here to judge. Uh, I'm just here to share my story. And hopefully everybody else will too, because at that point in time, now we can make improvements. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that this show uh, opens the dialogue. You know, um, I hope that if you're listening right now and I, I, you know, don't wish this uh, syndrome upon anybody, but I hope that if you have this syndrome, that this podcast was beneficial for you so that maybe you could get on that path towards correcting this issue. And uh, specifically, I, I hope that Jared's uh, perspective on this issue is helpful because some people will say, especially I've heard of physicians and, and other people that have CHS will say, well, you got to quit cold turkey. And that's really hard for some people to hear. Like you say, if you require, if you need pain relief or whatever role cannabis plays in your life to hear that that's going to be gone out of your life and that you have to, like I said, raw dog earlier, that's a horrible euphemism for saying facing life. without. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just for our listeners that mm -hmm. what I meant by that was facing life without something that's helped you to get through. Like that's scary for people. So your perspective, I think, is huge. Um, you know, that doesn't have to be the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really doesn't. You know, and a couple other things that I would throw out there for people that are going through CHS or think that they might have CHS or, you know, may maybe they just want to learn how to be able to dose themselves with terpenes. You know, um, another thing that really helps me is atomizers. You know, something that I can put essential oils in which is basically terpenes and I can put it in there and it helps me sleep at night. It helps my stomach. Um, you can put essential oils on your stomach or on your skin and absorb it that way. Um, stay away from cold things to drink. And I know I said, I, I like fruit smoothies and when I'm coming out of it, that really, really does help me, but I can't jump straight to fruit smoothies, you know, for the digestive system to really take place. You have to bring, whatever substance that's in your stomach up to your body temperature before you're able to absorb it. And, you know, so eating fruit such as watermelon, pears, peaches, really, really good for you. You know, it's at room temperature. Um, don't, I, I love ice water when I'm, when I'm sick, I, I crave it. That's what I want. But I tell you, it, it doesn't help me. Like it feels good coming down but my body is not at a point where it's going to be able to bring it up to temperature so that I can absorb it. So things that are room, room temperature or hot, you know, hot teas, 
that's that's going to be a better option for you because what i found is that i'm drinking my cold water and next thing you know i'm throwing up again and like why can't i keep this down this feels great but it's that cold just that really cold water it's just not doing it for me um it's actually probably hurting me more than it's helping me but i'll tell you this that when i'm throwing up and my stomach is raw and I have ulcers or, you know, my throat is just burning, drink water. Yeah, I know you're going to throw it up, but you need to dilute the acids. If you don't dilute the acids, you're going to cause more problems. So don't be afraid to throw up. Just kind of embrace it and get over with and just realize what you're doing it for. Um, Because, I mean, the first time I... I went in and they did endoscopy and they're like, yeah, you have ulcers. You have all these other different things kind of going on with me. Like, Oh, I just need to drink more water, I guess. And I need to dilute that stomach acid so that I'm able to have some sort of quality of life. Um, while that's transpiring, I'm not hurting myself more and probiotics. I do the probiotics, uh, your, your flora, your stomach biome, so to speak, has been totally depleted and decimated. All those little things that work in tandem for the greater good to digest and absorb, a lot of them have died off during this because they didn't have anything to eat. Right? So that's kind of where I'm at right now is taking in those probiotics, you know, eating the sauerkraut's like paying really close attention to what it is that you're trying to do and be intentional with what you're trying to do. Uh, that'll help you tremendously. And hopefully it'll help get you through the hump. But probably the hardest thing to get over though, is the depression and the different mental aspects of what it is that you just went through. Like, I'm not gonna lie. When I come out of CHS, it's a struggle. You know, I struggle with depression. Um, I don't know why that is. And maybe I'm just totally wiped with energy, but I find, I find happiness with my kids. I find happiness in nature. I find happiness in the rivers. If I'm able to go and just lay down in one or, you know, happiness in the quiet, (laughs) dark, you know, where I can just be at peace in my own mind and try to avoid any type of triggers of stress. Like when kids are fighting and screaming and all of their stuff, kick them out of the house. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. Your mental health is really, really important at that point in time. And yeah, dude. It, it could, I mean, that could lead you down into another cycle. And that's the last place you really want to be. So, and these are a lot of things that a lot of people don't really discuss in the groups that I've read. But we need to have more of these type of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that this opens the door to people being more open about it. There's no reason to be, I think you can speak for this uh, better than I could because I don't suffer from CHS. Uh, but there's Yet. no reason to be ashamed of it. Yeah. What's that? Doesn't, just because you haven't gone through it yet doesn't mean that you won't. Oh, yeah. No, fair point. Fair point. I didn't understand you at first, but you said yet. Yeah, you're, you're totally right, you know. And honestly, if I want to be completely honest, I've had similar symptoms to what you're talking about. Um, there were quite a, quite a while ago, uh, I would say five years ago. Um, in the mornings, I would be really, really sick. I could not keep food down. 
Um, I'd often wake up in a hot sweat. Um, and at that time I had no idea what CHS was. I mean, we're talking five years ago. So, um, I feel like it, most people still don't know what CHS is. And so, but more so nowadays, it's becoming more prominent, which is, I think a good thing, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good way of putting it yet, but, but anyways, um, what was I saying? Um, ah, I think I may have lost my point, but that's okay. Um, you're talking about how you went through something that was very similar to CHS. Yeah, but I was going to say um, something to the effect of I might not be able to speak to this, but I can't remember the point I was going to make. It's okay, though. Um, it's okay. Uh, trying to think here. Yeah, it's, it's gone. It's okay. That's, that's the cannabis, you know. Sometimes it's just, <laughs> but, oh, 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 here it is. I hope that this conversation allows people to come out and not be ashamed of this. There's, there's really no reason to be ashamed. I felt like you would be able to speak on that more than myself because I don't experience, like, did you, de- did you deal with any shame? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's yeah. going to find a reason to judge you. That, that's just it. It feels <clears throat> weird. It feels like they're like, it kind of feels um, like Ford versus Chevy. Like if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, uh, go a little bit to the other side. In other words, if you say that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just not going to be using cannabis as much. I'm going to try to abstain a little bit, moderate, everything else. For some reason, people that smoke cannabis a lot take that offensive. They're like, what? You can't smoke weed every day? Like Dr. Dre, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, like, and it's like, <laughs> pardon my French. I know there's some kids around, but uh it seems weird that people get like personally offended if you say that you're changing your relationship with cannabis. And I hope that that stops. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. I hope that mm-hmm. stops. You well, know, it's not a competition. They, judge you. they either judge you because you smoke. They judge you because you don't. True. You don't smoke enough. Oh, you're not hardcore enough. Oh, I can smoke you under the bus. Um, right. It's, it's, it just seems like everybody's so judgmental on anything that they can find to be judgmental on. And the best thing you possibly do is just don't, don't be judgmental. You know, just look at it for what it is, accept that there's truth within whatever statement somebody has to, has to say, honor and respect it and just move on. You know, like like I said, people judge me because they think I have a death wish. And like I said, I, yeah, I I can kind of see your point. Do you, like, do they, do you think they say you have a death wish because you know, you have this, but you continue to use cannabis? Is that what you mean by that? Or you think mm-hmm. they mean by that? Gotcha. Yeah. I continue to use myself as a lab rat, so to speak. Um, you know, there's people that like Alice that doesn't smoke anymore. And yep. then you have people like me that live with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying anything that Alice is doing is wrong. Yeah, that's why I was really excited to speak to you because I knew Alice struggled with it, but she chooses not to use it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't fault her for that. But Mm -hmm. your perspective was super interesting when she told me about you, that you experience it, but you choose to continue to use it. And what I didn't know and that I learned through talking today is that you're trying to figure out, like you say, you say it as using yourself as a lab rat. I like that. Um, You're trying to figure out like that threshold, what triggers it. And you're not even you're not even like solely focused on cannabis. Like you keep other things in mind, like stressors in life and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, and without you trying that, 
we wouldn't have these things. And I'm not saying that, you know, you could consider your perspective anecdotal for sure. But I think that if it helps other people, then obviously we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's better than nowhere. You know, if we don't talk about this at all, or if we abstain and don't figure out anything, I'm sorry, but that, that's not good enough for me. Like, and it sounds like you were the same thing. Like, you're like no, we got to figure this out. Yeah. It's, it's no answer is not good enough. Yeah. I need something. And, you know, uh, I believe that I have this for a reason. You know, maybe it's because I smoked a lot when I was younger. I don't technically believe that to be the fact. Um, because, yeah, I smoked a little bit when I was younger, but I never had as much as I do now. And there was a time where I wanted to be a firefighter paramedic more than anything. So I stopped. And I didn't smoke at all for many years. And it wasn't until I really started hurting myself, you know, with my knees and my back that I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start using this again. Even though it's federally illegal, I really don't give two shits um, because it's, uh, it's more about a quality of life and an existence than anything else. So, you know, I'm not going to lie. I smoked on the fire line because it got me through the day. You know, I I was able to save those homes or do whatever it was because I was able to take that little bit of edge off. And, you know, there's some people that can't smoke, you know, they smoke and they get stupid and there's other people that can smoke and you're totally fine. You're normal. Like it hasn't really affected you one iota. Right. So you just need to figure out who you are, where you're at and what your limits are. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. I think that's the first time I've ever admitted to smoking on the fire line. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, that's why they call it the fire line. They're like, Jared's here smoking fires, the fire line, baby. Yeah, no, for real. It's my lame attempt burning, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be burning out thousands and thousands of acres. And, you know, I'd have a drip torch in one hand and I'd have a spliff in the other. There you go. And, you know, the fir- first part was tobacco and the rest was all cannabis. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. I would light it up right there in front of my bosses and they'd smell tobacco. And then I'd walk off into the woods and they'd smell the forest burning. And that was yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, man, it's it's really been a pleasure speaking with you today. I think it'd be cool to talk to you again in the future to see how things are still going, see if you've learned anything else. Um, but before we go, do you have any other, uh, you know, final thoughts or anything else, uh, for our audience? Um, anything, just wanted to give you a space for, if we haven't touched on anything that you wanted to touch on. No, I'd, I'd really like to talk about our nonprofit with our deaf community. Yeah, dude, let's do it. Defining, you know, it's spelled D E A F I N I N G. And it's where we basically created a safe place for our our deaf community to come and to grow. And it's not so much, not just that obviously, but you start thinking about how hard it is to be able to find a grower that speaks your language when your language is sign language. You know, there are very, 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 very few people within the deaf community that don't live off social security disability. You know, they live paycheck to paycheck. They live off the bare minimum and they're not really given a whole lot of opportunities. And furthermore, in that they don't have an opportunity to grow because they live in an apartment 
or they're renting a house and the landlords won't allow them to do so. Or maybe they just don't have enough money to be able to do that. So that's where we kind of come in and provide a segue. You know, we, we teach you how to build your soils. We teach you how to do vermiculture and to have worm farms. Um, we teach you how do we inoculate mycelium um, so that you can have mushrooms, you know, edible mushrooms, not just psilocybin and things like that, but, you know, repairing the earth and to be able to do this with virtually your scraps. You know, you, you go to your neighbor's house and you rake up the leaves in their yard and you take them home and you compost it. And now you're able to feed your family with virtually nothing, you know, very, very little other than education and a little bit of hard work. Um, but on top of that, what I think is really important that not a whole lot of people will understand or even think about is that how many words are lacking in sign language, right? I would go and I would interpret for my team, you know, at the regenerative conferences or at the Emerald Cup or, you know, International Cannabis Business Conference. And they're sitting there having conversations on the endocannabinoid system. And I'm just spelling endocannabinoid system. And by that time, they've they're already finished with their concepts and thoughts so like we as a team since we have educated deaf farmers and now we have people that know what they're doing what it is they're talking about that we started developing cannabis sign language so we now have words for endocannabinoid system we now have words for entourage effect we have words for terpene we have words for mycelium um it's like all these different really important concepts that these people don't have access to. Like even the written word, how they speak is, is not English. Right. It's kind of like Spanish, you know, the, the order and structure of things. And there is no, the, is like a lot of those things just go right out the window because there's no context behind it. It's very contextually based. So for us, as far as I'm aware, we're the only deaf farm in the world. Um, I knew of one other in Colorado that got shut down. Um, but aside from that, like I would consider us our farm to be essential. And it's so sad because you know, a medical farm, we were doing great back when we were able to sell into a legal system. You know, we were in 70 different stores here in Oregon and then rec came in and they shut us down. They shut, they basically locked us out of the legal system that we created. We got locked out of the stores that we participated in, you know, because we were competition. And the sad truth is, is that we're just one small farm, right? Um, we're one small farm that's making a global impact. Like we have over 1,700 um, followers in our regenerative farm group, uh, representing 52 different countries. That's deaf people in 52 different countries that are learning how to be a part of this regenerative farming process and to heal our land and to do stuff with the bare minimum. We're just one small farm. 
that has a really big imprint or footprint, how many more of these small farms that could have this type of an impact all over the globe that are being shut down, you know, for corporate greed, for excessive tax money and revenue, you know, it's, these medical farms are insanely important and it gets lost within the, Oh, you know, Colorado just made $340 million in sales this last month. It's like, who's making all that money? I guarantee you it's not the farmer. I guarantee you it's not the store. It's not the labs. It's the government. Uh, they are getting probably 60 to 70% of all the money that flows through the cannabis industry. And then everybody else is fighting over the 30%. And that's why medical farms are losing. Like That's why all these patients can't find growers anymore. Things need to change. Yeah. We had a similar thing happen in Illinois. I was telling you about before we went on air, uh, there was a nonprofit uh, company called Shelby County Community Services. And one of the things they do is hire uh, members of the community, Mm -hmm. um, you know, disabled members, uh, you name it. um, And they'd help integrate them into the workflow and teach them how to do these things. And um, that has since shut down. Um, and I believe the license has sold uh, or was being sold to a bigger company. Now that company is selling it to another company. And again, it's cash, cash rules and mm-hmm. um, benefiting the community seems to come second uh, to, to that. It's um, not even second. It's yeah, not it's even actually, second. that's a that's true. It's not even second. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's, yeah, there's a, a, a number of things that come even before community you know mm-hmm. um so hey for folks that want to do what they can to support your nonprofit and and everything you do um can you either tell us where to go right now or maybe send me a link after the show and we can put it in the show notes oh yeah absolutely um and i'd like to send you over a video that we created um, oh perfect we went, yeah we went around to what we consider the OGs in the cannabis industry. And we asked them to define cannabis using three words. And it's not like, Oh, I love cannabis. It's three contextual words. So, and then when they, they come up with their three contextual words, we teach them the sign language to it. And then they did that back to the camera so that we can share with our deaf community, what cannabis really is, what our cannabis community really represents and just kind of dispel the stigma that's behind all of this. And uh, I think it's really, really important because a lot of the media out there is anti this, anti that, negative, 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 and getting to hear it from the grassroots for the first time, like you get to hear their voice. And since you only have three words that you have to pick from, you have to be pretty on point with how you feel, you know? Um, So you really get the heart and soul of what this community and what this plan is. And in the end, you see that almost everybody's saying the same thing. And that's beautiful because it doesn't matter if you're in China or you're in Russia or you're Australia or Canada or wherever you're at. If you have this relationship with this plant, you share similar values. It's changed you in a positive way that 
the things that we thought were important at one point in time are no longer important. And the things that we didn't think are important are insanely important. So, um, yeah, it, it's a really beautiful thing. Um, but in regards to our nonprofit, it's called Defining, D-E-A-F-I-N-I-N-G. Um, if you want to email us, it's definingnpo at outlook.com. Um, you can also find us at Homegrown Organics, and it's O-R-E-G-O-N-I-C-X. That's our deaf farm name. We're on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, and if you know somebody that's within the deaf community that's wanting to learn more about regenerative farming, our group that we have on Facebook is called Defining Cannabis. <clears throat> and really that, that encompasses the whole aspect of being regenerative farmer and teaching you how to do the vermiculture or keep bees or even how to infuse um, and make can of honey, you know, or how to make fico, like all these different aspects of it, sabs, tinctures, glycerins, like let us teach you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's knowledge really is awesome. power. Knowledge is power, definitely. <clears throat> and all of those different techniques uh, can be used in so many different ways. It doesn't even have to do with getting high, you know, you mentioned compost and growing your own mushrooms and everything else. And not again, not the mushrooms that get you high, even though those are awesome. You also you teach can. them how to, yeah, morels or something like that, mm -hmm. that are great to eat, you know, and I think all of these things are super powerful to, to, to learn, you know, so um, thank you it for doing what you do, man. Go ahead. It opens up Pandora's box at that point in time. Yeah. Like you just, you look at value totally different. Like, you know, people, they hear of lion's mane and they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's a mushroom. And mm -hmm. then you start learning more about lion's mane and how it actually helps your brain. Um, you know, it helps with people that have dementia and how it's not just a food. Like this has a value way beyond that. And like you're talking $35 a pound, $30 a pound. So, I mean, you can create a business off of this you can really help people in a lot of different ways but in the end you just see value differently right the morels the shiitakes like it's not just a good tasty food like no it has a medicinal value like yeah all of it and then you start looking at soil you know and the different microbes that are in the soil and then you look at your stomach biome and you're just like wow it's kind of the same things. Like, wow. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, and then you can go on from there. It's like, okay, who, who am I? Like you break down a cell and you start looking at the mitochondria and all the different aspects of it. <clears throat> and you realize that, okay, I'm made up of a bunch of different living organisms that make up my body that function in unison. But who am I? Like, I'm not those bugs. I'm not the parasites. I'm not all these different things. I'm not my right hemisphere. I'm not my left hemisphere. Who am I? Am, am I that spot that's right in between that intercellular space that has to make the decisions and distinctions between left and right, right and wrong? Like, <clears throat> we're all made up of the same things, the things that are in the trees 
the same things that make up us. We're just put together differently and we vibrate differently. And then it leads you down a whole rabbit hole. And (laughs) it's crazy. But a lot of this starts with cannabis. And it just opens our eyes and allows us to start asking questions and making those interconnections. Yeah, very well said, man. I couldn't have said it better myself. Better myself. Um, it's something that I found out, yeah, through my use of cannabis and everything else. Very well said. So cool. Well, we will throw those links in the podcast description, folks uh, that want to support or get connected with this group. Um, and uh, Jared, I Please. just want to say thanks again uh, for taking the time to come on, but also for doing what you do, not only, uh, your efforts with CHS and being open and honest about it and working with the community on that, but your efforts, uh, with, with your nonprofit, like that's, that's huge, you know? And like you say, I'm not aware of anybody else doing that right now. Well, the insanity is, is that I can watch people in China or Russia, you know, and I can't understand a word they're saying, right? Maybe one or two, but if they're doing sign language, I can understand 40%. I can understand 70%. And at that point, it opens up the possibility of being able to go and speak to people all over the world, crossing borders, you know, um, and being able to interconnect in a way that, you realize that we're one globe, we're one people, we're one human race. And with sign language, it's kind of a superpower. And it, it is. And where our hope is with our defining group is that we'll be able to take this message and be able to go to Spain and span this and speak about this and usher in a new paradigm of what equality really looks like. Because right now we're stuck on color or race or I went to jail or I didn't go to jail. And I'm not saying that those things are not part of the equality equity game, but we're really missing the big picture. If we're not including our deaf individuals, we're not including our blind individuals. Like everybody has their own superpower. I remember hearing about this deaf guy or not deaf guy, um, a blind man in Colorado. You ever hear about this guy? A blind man in Colorado had a small medical farm. And he, when he was harvesting, he was harvesting CBG, right? And he was doing it all based off of smell, right? That's how he was distinguishing whether it's ripe enough or not. It was all based off of his nose, which to me was like, that's funny because CBG is a precursor to THC and then he started thinking about it. It's like, that guy has got a superpower. We need that guy to be a cannabis cup judge. Like we need our deaf community to be cannabis cup judges because we're all looking at it from a different perspective. And, you know, people say, oh, you're, you work with deaf people. It must be really hard to communicate. Yes, sometimes it can be. But I'll tell you what those people that are in there doing the trimming amazing job you could be in there with trim machines that are insanely loud that sound like jet engines it's not affecting them one bit where you and i we'd have to scream at each other trying to figure out what was going on but for them it's nothing you know there's a place for all of us here and and if we're going to have a conversation about equality 
we really need to have a bigger conversation than just color or sex. Otherwise, yeah. we're just we're not helping ourselves. It's yeah. just a flashy show word. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The disabled are hardly, hardly, if ever, included in conversations about equality. Mm-hmm. You know. It drives me insane because it's like, here, I have this superpower because I can talk to just about anywhere, anyone in the world, as long as I'm not doing my spelling, you know, and people just totally miss it. They don't, it's, it's a foreign concept to them. It eludes them like, oh, and you watch them have this aha moment. And then we go right back to doing the same old thing. And it's like, man. Just take a moment, think about it, and allow it to change your life. And I guarantee you it'll change it for the better. Because, you know, one of my friends is Tommy Chong, right? And we went down to do a video. Tommy's been on the show like three times. Tommy's yeah. super cool. Amazing individual. Anyways, we went down to LA and did some, some videos with him. And one thing he said is that, you know what? We're not guaranteed to be born deaf. But you have a guarantee that you have the possibility to go deaf. And if you don't go deaf, you're at least going to lose your hearing to a degree. And then my father-in-law went into the hospital and he got trached and everything that, that transpired there. And the only thing that saved his life was the fact that he knew sign language because they were willing to pull the plug on him, but they couldn't because he could still communicate rationally. So, right. It's, it's those That's aha heavy. moments. That's heavy as and, hell. And, you know, I was able to communicate with my babies at six months old. Six months old, I'm having conversations and developing rationalization skills with my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that I can carry with them forever. Absolutely. Like, some of these things, like when we talk about equality and just having these aha moments and allowing your body and your soul just to kind of embrace it and see how it can change your life for the better and all those around you. My kids' first language is sign language, and they can have conversations with people all over the world. That's yeah. cool. That, that's English, cool as that. fuck, man. That's right. cool as fuck. Right? That's like I've never really thought about that. That is a universal language, like you said. Besides the spelling part, which that was my attempt at doing what you're doing. I can't fucking do it. Um, but cool, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, that I've never thought about that. So you could probably watch a speech by the chancellor of Germany. And if they have somebody signing, you can pretty much understand the speech, right? I can't understand all of it, but I can all understand it, some of it. Say, yeah. Some of it is different. Um, sure. You know, in Japan, that is sister, that's brother. <laughs> right? So for folks that are listening to our podcast, he basically <laughs> just flipped off the camera. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. But this is the area for mom and this is the area for dad. Right. So okay. and then you got brother, you got sister. So like girl, boy. So it's, it's based off of where it's located on your face or your body and the expression that you're using it. But you can see the similarities. Okay. Like it's coming from this area being representing the woman and up here as the head representing the male, you know? Uh, so once you start getting used to it, you're like, oh, okay, okay, mm-hmm. that, that makes a little bit more sense, and some of yeah. it doesn't make sense at all. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes just, you just got to make a sign for something, right? 
most of, most of it has some sort of representation to it, like picture, right? Here's your piece of paper. Here's your photo lens. Uh-huh. And you're just putting that, taking a picture. So gotcha. that's the sign for picture. Whereas others, you know, I don't know. Like, they could be way off base and you're just like, ah. I, I'll ask my wife, like, what, what does that mean? Like, how, how is that represented so that I can store it in my brain, you know, because I can take those pictures. And once I understand what that sign means or represent, it makes it a whole lot easier for me to understand it going forward. But if there's nothing that makes sense and it's just, yeah. it's gone. It, it yeah. is, it is what it is, but yeah, once you start putting it all together and I can understand 30%, 40%, 70%. Uh, the, the biggest hurdle is the ABCs, the spelling. Uh, if we can do away with that, we'd be a whole better off. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, this has been an intriguing conversation for so many different reasons. <laughs> um, uh, I've never thought about sign language like that before, first of all. Um, but a lot of a lot of other different reasons i i'm definitely intrigued um any other thoughts on uh your nonprofit or any anything else that we've been talking about no just find a way to build support is just sharing the content is support you know you know it doesn't have to be monetary okay. uh, monetary goes a long ways don't get me wrong that gets us to events that yeah. that we're able to usher in more deaf people so that we can take them around and interpret for them or provide them with opportunities within the cannabis sector. It, it, it goes a long ways, but nothing goes further than just the desire to help and finding a way. So it doesn't have to be money. It can be just sharing the link or sharing the story, or maybe, you know, somebody that's deaf that you've never talked to before. And you're just like, Oh, guess what? I want to share this link with you. This might change your life for the better. And, yeah. or maybe it could change somebody else's life for the better. Or maybe you just made a new friend. Maybe mm-hmm. you help save them in a way because yeah. they're alone. They feel isolated. You know, they feel neglected. And, and that's just that little change, that little change that we can make can make all the difference for somebody else's life. So, yeah. yeah, I appreciate you throwing that out there, man. Uh, so people can support you, uh, like through donations, but they can also support you just by sharing the information with their family and friends, showing you know that people do this. So that's priceless. Yeah, thanks for that's thanks for I'm pointing after. that out, man. So folks, we'll have those links in the podcast description if you want to check them out and share with your family, friends, colleagues, anybody. Um, please do. It's important to continue those conversations. And, you know, share this episode if you feel like somebody might benefit from hearing about CHS as well. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, we've we've touched on a, a lot of very substantive topics today. And uh, Jared, I couldn't have done it without your help. I really couldn't have. Well, thank you for allowing me this opportunity and having me the platform here. I mean, without you, none, none of this is possible, right? So you, you have to lead, you have to act first. And so thank you. Yeah. Yeah. 
So folks, hope you found subs- uh, we hope you found this episode to be uh, substantive. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next time on the Chillinoy podcast. See you, everybody. <laughs>